When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to our first postseason edition of In the Trenches. We're going to take a look back at this college football season for Michigan, as well as a look ahead. We don't know what the bowl schedule is yet, but as soon as we get that, we'll bring it to you. Lots to get to today here on In the Trenches. Let's go In the Trenches with John Jansen. The former Wolverines captain and Michigan Sports Hall of Famer will take you inside the locker room with players and coaches. That's how those guys get scholarships because after one year, here's another, here you go. Keep up with me, John. (laughs) I can see the smoke coming out of your ears. Once again, here's John Jansen. Welcome back, friends. We, uh, when you download this podcast, make sure you like, um, subscribe, and and give us some feedback. Let us know what you think we're doing. And in the off season here, Send us some comments. Uh, you can reach me on Twitter at John Jansen seventy seven, uh, or leave it in the feedback on the podcast. So we uh, we know what you like to hear in the off season. We're going to bring you some recruiting information. We'll bring you as much uh, obviously as we get to the bowl game, spring football, leading into next football season. A lot to to talk about. But if there's something on your mind, let us know. And also, listen up, Wolverines fans. Even hotels has arrived in Ann Arbor, and here is the inside scoop. Even Hotels has something for everyone. Enjoy organic meals at their restaurant, get the rest you need to accomplish more, or stay active with mounted fitness walls in each room and a best in-class athletic studio. Not to mention, game day just got a little easier. Even Hotel Ann Arbor is located just a few miles from Michigan Stadium, Chrysler Center, and the rest of the Michigan campus. Book now at evenhotels.com. Even hotels where wellness is built in. Want to bring in uh, Brian Bush and Brian. Uh, you know, I know that there's a lot of basketball to cover, but last week you're the voice, the play-by-play voice of Michigan basketball, and Michigan basketball had two terrific wins. Mm-hmm. And you were there down in the Bahamas, 
Not going to hate on you too much for that. (laughs) Your week was watching Michigan basketball and broadcasting two great victories. And then on Saturday, you got to witness your first game in the big house against Ohio State. Not your first game, but the first game that you had with Ohio State. Hell of a week for you. It was awesome. So... First off, we're recording this before the Louisville game. So, heck of a – that half-court shot to win by Xavier Simpson to beat Louisville, that was awesome. That's my prediction. <laughs> yeah, well, well played. Pretty awesome. And, I, and I'm going to buy my uh, – what is it? Mega Millions is up to yes. about $300 million. I'll buy that one too. Lock it in. Uh, but as we're recording right now, yeah, Michigan 7-0. and And so what happened was Michigan beats Iowa State Wednesday. And I start to think, okay, well, because of this win, Michigan will play the first game Thursday, and they're locked into either the first or the second game on Friday. I think, okay, I have a Saturday flight because we could have played anywhere from, you know, 1130 until 9 o'clock on that Friday. I'm probably not going to be able to get back for the game. So I look just to see what flights are out there, and there's a 7.20 p.m. flight Friday. And I'm doing the math in my head. Okay, this can work out. We just need to avoid overtime in any of the games, and I, th- I should be fine. So, sure enough, the first game on Friday, Oregon-North Carolina. Oregon has a great look at a three to tie, in and out, and ends up going fine. I get to the airport. Power goes out about 10 minutes after I sit at my gate. And, you know, island life's a little different than yeah, United States yeah. life. So, they board us, and they tell us we have to deplane because the... Uh, air traffic control setup, their generator didn't kick in. So I'm going, man, not only am I not going to stay another night in the Bahamas, but I'm probably not going to make it up for the game either. And sure enough, we get there with about 25, 30 minutes till my connection. I, out of shape, heaving and running across the Miami airport. I get there just in time, out of breath, say, am I, did I make it? Did I make it? Yes, you did. You're good. It was it was a whirlwind, but uh, yeah, Michigan basketball. It was a special week last week, no doubt. What uh, what are you seeing before we get into seven from seventy seven? But uh, just give a, our listeners a quick update on you know Jawan Howard. It's yeah. his first coaching job. It's his first year at Michigan. What are you seeing from this team, and more specifically from him? So I think you can perfectly sum up what he has brought to the table in one observation. And it was Thursday against North Carolina. You get to a media timeout, which, you know, that's a two-minute stretch where the coach gets a chance to drop the next play or talk through something he didn't like. It's a team thing, and you try to maximize every single second. And just before that media timeout, Franz Wagner, there was something inside. I think it was a box-out issue or something defensively that Juwan didn't like from what he saw from his freshman Franz. And he comes out on the floor, and it was as if he's giving him a one-on-one, 30, 40-second coaching snippet on what he wants to see Franz do again. So instead of drawing up a play, doing something in that media timeout, he A, trusts his assistants to run the rest of that conversation while he gives a one-on-one detail to Franz Wagner. I asked associate head coach Phil Martelli, who obviously has seen a ton of basketball in his day, I said, have you ever seen a head basketball coach do that at the college level? And he just put up a balled-up fist. Never. Never seen that. The way that he connects with the players, the way that he understands not only the big picture, but also the impact of that. If your head coach 
goes out there and doesn't demean you, doesn't yell at you. He just goes out there and talks through something you didn't do right. You think you're going to remember that from now on? Heck yeah. yeah. You're definitely going to remember that. Uh, Just his genuine, uh, intelligent approach to things. He's measured. He's passionate. Uh, It's seven games in. I don't want to be hyperbolic. You can't get, you know, this is still a lot of guys who were from the previous regime. But the way that he has been able to get X, Teske, and Livers to, to take that next step even beyond what we've seen. And, I mean, Eli Brooks is much better than last year. David DeJulius is much better than last year. Colin Castleton's looked really good. Brandon John still has ability. The way that he has gotten these guys to take that next step, pretty much everybody in the rotation, uh, you can't help but be super optimistic about where this team is at. And, you know, the people saying at the start of the year, I, I don't know if they're going to make the tournament. Long way to go, but boy, that seems short-sighted. Now. Well, those are those are a couple of great resume builders uh, for Jawan Howard. Uh, and you know, when when we get to the end of the year and we're talking about you know this compared to other teams, I think that'll definitely help. And you know, that relationship that he has with the players, um, you know, bringing it back to football, uh, it's a great example. Same as Josh Gaddis did with Giles Jackson exactly. on a touchdown pass against Rutgers. You know, it was a touchdown pass. Everybody celebrating, but it wasn't exactly the way it was supposed to be done. And it may cost you later in the year against uh, Iowa with uh, Nico Collins, you know, coming up just a little bit short in converting a first down. That ability to make those corrections on the spot can only be done or at least most effectively be done when you've got a great relationship with the players. Jawan Howard obviously has that right now with his guys. Josh Gaddis has it with his guys. And and I think that was a huge move for him earlier in the year as we, as we kind of talk about this year in review um, of him coming down, Josh Gaddis coming down from the box to the field um, to to continue to develop this offense. And we see, we saw a lot of growth. Um, in this offense throughout the course of this football season. And, and I know we're going to get into it a little bit more today and and the rest of this offseason, uh, what to look forward to uh, in regards to the bowl game and next year. But uh, let's get into 7 from 77. Yeah, let's do it. And, and number one, John, you know, a lot of the postgame commentary from Saturday has been revolved around the concept that Michigan doesn't have the talent to compete with Ohio State. You said Saturday, it's not a talent issue, it's an execution issue. I want you to expound upon that because you're in the minority with that observation. It is a, an execution issue because when when you look at this game, and I've said this before and I'm going to say it again, when you get a chance to look back at the 60 minutes of football and you look offensively, defensively, special teams, there's always a handful of plays that you can look at and say that is what either won us or lost us the game. And when you look at this game against Ohio State on Saturday, it was – a fumble inside the red zone um, by Shea Patterson. It was offsides on fourth and four uh, when Ohio, when they finally forced Ohio State to punt. Both times Ohio State went down and scored. Uh, and if you look at the score at halftime, twenty-eight to sixteen. What's the difference? That's a huge difference in that game. And you know we don't know how it plays out from that point. Everything changes, but you have an opportunity at that time to put points on the on the board. It's a mixed, missed extra point at the beginning of the game. You put a great drive together to start the game off. You take advantage of some mismatches. You get momentum. You, you are on attack, and then some of that momentum is stolen because you missed that extra point. It's a touchdown pass that is in the hands of a wide receiver that in a game and a matchup and a moment like that has to be caught. 
those are some things that you look at. And just so a few examples, the most obvious ones, where our players have the talent to be there. They have the talent to move the ball down the field. Now it's a matter of executing inside the red zone. It's a matter of executing an extra point, a touchdown pass, um, lining up correctly. All of those things come down to execution. It has nothing to do with talent. Let's jump into Pepper's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Pepper play sets. Pepper Pig. Inspiring kid confidence. Number two, uh, probably the the soundbite that got the most run after Saturday's game was Ohio State quarterback Justin Fields. He said this, quote, I think we take it more seriously than they do, to be honest, with regards to the rivalry. Your reaction to that comment? Um, you know, it's his first exposure to this game, um, and I'll give him a mulligan. Uh, but, uh, you, you know, when you're riding high, uh, you you, you got to be real careful on what you say. Uh, because this is this is a game. It is the most important game. It's the only game on Ohio State's schedule. It is the most important game on Michigan's schedule. This one hurts for a year when you lose, and it feels great when to, to be able to celebrate when you win. Uh, and and so to say that that just it to me it's coming from a guy that doesn't yet fully understand the implications of this rivalry. Um, how big this game is on a on a yearly basis. Um, so it's uh, I, I may give him a mulligan, but there may be some other individuals that uh, that aren't going to be so generous. Number three, Michigan defensive coordinator Don Brown talks about fixing things. Last two years, Ohio State puts up sixty two and fifty six on the Wolverines. So what, in your eyes, can he do to fix what has been that problem? Well, some of it's on on the defense, obviously creating matchups where you don't have your your safety uh, on their fastest receiver. Um, we saw that against Penn State. We saw it happen again, uh, you know, and that's going to happen at times with formations. And and that's Ryan Day on one side trying to scheme to get things in their favor. Don Brown has to continue to do that on on the defensive side of things to to put things in in our favor. And you know, it, when I talked before the game about offense and defense being complementary to each other and that I had more confidence going into this game than I had previously. And, and, and I couched that with saying it doesn't mean we're going to win. It meant that I felt we were going to play better than we had previously. And if you when, you, when, when I talk about complementary offense and complementary defense, the defense goes out there and gets stops, create things, opportunities for the offense. The offense takes advantage of those opportunities. You get in the red zone, you score. Um, you know, special teams, you, you put points on the board when they're supposed to be there. You don't turn the ball over. You don't extend drives for the other team. So it has to be, it's not just on Don Brown. And yeah, there are things on defense that we've got to do in terms of we've got to, we've got to find a way to, uh, to slow down Justin Fields so that he does not convert those third down situations um, when you know the, the secondary does a great job of covering people. Now all of a sudden he's got nowhere to throw it, he runs for a first down. You've got to find a way in that matchup to win. Um, you know, in J.K. Dobbins, he's a terrific running back. But you have to be disciplined every play of the game. That's what I talk when I'm talking about. And I'll go back to that last question: execution. We've got a defensive line that can stop the run. We've seen that; they've proven that throughout the course of the year. We also have guys 
that are high motor guys. They're they're they want to make a play. They want to do things to to win for Michigan. And this is where the gap to me is. It's not the talent gap. It's it's the execution and it's between the ears. You've got to be disciplined and and not say I am I want this game so badly that I'm going to try and make every play on the field. Trust the other 10 guys on the field, offensively, defensively, special teams. They are there to help you be successful as well as you are there to help them be successful. So don't get out of your gap. We talked to Carlo Kemp, and he, he, he mentioned how important it was to stay in your gap. You know, J.K. Dobbins, the front side, he gets shut down and then, you know, was able to cut the ball back. That is, one, a great player making a play, but it's also a breakdown in terms of assignments and discipline. Number four on today's seven from 77. Unfortunately, on Saturday, this year's team not able to channel the upset from 1969, 50 years ago. Uh, but it was a special weekend for that 69 team. Tell us about all the festivities. I know you were instrumental in putting it all together. It was uh, it was a special weekend, and, and it was even more special for me because when I, I love Michigan football, um, you know, almost as much as anything in this world, and and I love the history and tradition. And on a on a game to game basis and a daily basis, I get to work with two of the guys that were on that football team, Jim Brandstetter and Dan Deerdorf. And and those guys, and and you know what it's like to be. That's that's my team now, right? That's the broadcast team. You're a member of that team, and you want the best for those guys. And they they're having their their '69 reunion, um, 50 years. Um, from Bo Schembechler's first year, uh, and Bo meant the world to me. Um, never had a chance to play for him, but I did know him. He was out at practice. I, I sat in his office, um, and, it, and it's hard not to to love all that has happened in Michigan football. So I say all that to lead up to it was very important for me to be able to get it right so that those guys could enjoy a great weekend. I remember what it was like in 97 for the 97 team to come back for their 20th and, and how special those moments were. Friday night, they had a dinner at the Young Center um, between uh, Chrysler and, and, the, and the Big House. And they, they, they had an opportunity to you know run the game, you know, on the on the big screen and and watch their their guys and watch their team tell stories and remember what was happening on the sidelines, what was happening in the lead up to the game, after the game, uh, and remember some of the guys that weren't able to to, to make it. Jim Mandich, their their captain, um, passed away a few years ago, um, so it's an opportunity to celebrate the moments that they remember of him uh, and celebrate their life, and then on on. Saturday, they had a tailgate before the game. Uh, again, I, probably just a continuation of the party from the night yeah. before. They were on the field before the game to be recognized as honorary captains uh, for this 2019 Ohio State-Michigan matchup uh, in the first quarter, which it ended up taking a little bit longer because Michigan put together a scoring drive. So did Ohio State. But the first TV timeout, they were recognized. And there was so much about what we do now and the expectations of these football teams, the expectations that were on me when I was a player from, you know, my redshirt year in 94 all the way through 98, all those expectations were put in place or at least re-upped by what that 69 team did. We are standing on the backs of that team and, you know, to have those guys back, it was just and to see them, to see him smile, to see how much it meant to them, to see how much Michigan football 50 years later means to them. 
you know, I'll go back to um, what Justin Fields said. Don't ever underestimate what this game means to both programs. And and when that next Michigan win comes, that team is going to be remembered very, very well. Hopefully that's in 2020. Uh, all right, number five. Obviously still some things to play out during championship week, but for most reports, most projections, it, it seems like it's either going to be the Holiday Bowl in San Diego against a Pac-12 team or the Gator Bowl in Jacksonville against an SEC team. Do you have one you'd prefer? Uh, I do, um, you know, and 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 I'll I'll say this by if you're not playing in the Rose Bowl, that's always the goal, and hopefully when Michigan makes the college football playoffs, that's the opportunity that these kids have, um, or you're not playing in the college football playoffs. To me, all of the bowls, while special, are basically the same because you're playing against a different conference. You're playing against, you know, it's an opportunity for kids, seniors, to show their last you know, the, their last bit of film to NFL scouts. It's young players getting an opportunity to get extra reps at practice, maybe get on the field, especially with the new redshirt rule. We get a chance to see some young players that, you know, maybe only have three games in or less, and, you know, they get a chance to play, and, and we get a preview of what to, what we're going to look forward to next year. Um, so having said all that, I would much rather – we've been in Florida. We've been in Atlanta. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to go back to Florida. And, and you know what? I love those bowl games when we were there, and they all did a great job. I want a different scene. I want to go out to California. I would love to be in San Diego for the Holiday Bowl. My freshman year, we went to Holiday Bowl and played against Colorado State. Some of my greatest memories are, are out there. Plus, that game is played on the 27th. I can have Christmas with my family. Yep. I can do the bowl game. I can be at home and watch all the New Year's Day games, watch the Rose Bowl. To me, as a kid growing up, I become a football fan at that point, right? And and you just tradition and history all come flooding back, and I want to sp- be able to spend that time with my family. If I'm not going to be uh, part of a national championship effort, then uh, uh, you know I want to be home for for the holidays. It would be a sick joke if we finally avoid Florida in a bowl game and we play in the Gator Bowl. I mean, come on, like go from the Gators to the Gator. I- I- I'm with you on that. Number six, regardless of what bowl it is, if it's the holiday, the gator, something else, how will these next few weeks look for the players and for the staff? Um, you know, it, it's it's going to be a time where this week you're, you're going to be licking your wounds. Um, you're still trying to get over what happened, and, and you're not going to. I said this in the po- post game. You won't get over it until you get a chance to play Ohio State next year. Um, and, you know, that game is going to be in Columbus there's a lot of buildup already in my mind as to you know what's going to happen in that game, how it's going to go down, the matchups I'm looking forward to next year. Um, but for this week, it's it's the players will get some time off, um, you know. And one of the things that we forget throughout the season, and I try as best I can to remind people and our fans, these are student athletes. The student side has to come out this week, and guys get a chance if there's anything that they're behind on or they need to get ahead to uh, in regards to the final marking period or the final exams coming up. This is a week for them to be able to, you know, see their teachers, see their TAs, their professors, and 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 get some things straightened away um, so that they're they're ready to make a great push to finish the semester hard. They'll get a chance to get in the weight room, you know, uh, heal up any injuries, um, you know, and starting when we find out, whenever it is that we find out what bowl game that we're going to, then it becomes a matter of preparation for, you know, that team. The beautiful thing about these 15 practices, and this is the benefit that teams that make bowl games have, and there's a few teams in the Big Ten this year, Illinois, um, Indiana, that are going to be going bowling that haven't. The benefit is during the football season, 
the, the first and second teamers, they get all of the important reps. When you get into the bowl game prep, now you have extra time to give those third, fourth, fifth, sixth team guys, whoever it is, extra reps in preparation for this game. You may even be able to get a lot of those guys reps in the game because of like the the, the aforementioned red, red shirt rule that allows them to play in games without losing a year of eligibility. I think it's tremendous. And those guys get a chance to develop. They've had, you know, basically four or five months now of being on campus. If you're talking about the freshman class and they've watched film, they've seen the seniors and the juniors go out there and practice. Now it's their time to go out there and show what they've learned uh, and continue to develop so that when they get into spring football, they they're ahead of where they possibly could have been. Lastly, number seven, your coping mechanisms over the last few days were. Oh, yeah, that's that's about it. I know. I watch the film, and obviously, it it, it never changes. You you always hope for a different outcome, but um, you know, for me, it's it's just I, I I the way I cope with is I'm I'm disappointed, and just like a victory, you've got to move on because next game which is the bowl game, next opportunity to get better, you know, bowl practices, spring ball. I start looking at the team that we're going to have in 2019, and I get really excited about that. We've got talent at quarterback, Dylan McCaffrey, Joe Milton. You've got two young running backs in, in Hassan Haskins and Zach Charbonnet. That excites me. This this freshman class that came in of offensive linemen, we're going to lose Ben Bredesen, we'll lose John Runyon, but... I'm excited, Michael on Wayne So we're going to have some new faces up front. I'm excited about what I see from the twos and threes on the offensive line. Ronnie Bell, Mike Sandra still at wide receiver. You know, Nico Collins, and, and we'll, we'll we'll see how many of those receivers end up coming back. But we've got a lot of talent and depth there that has the ability to be here. Uh, defensively, Cam McGrone. I couldn't be more excited about a kid that had an opportunity going into the season. You were hoping maybe in spot duty you'd see him. After the Wisconsin game, he stepped in and played extremely well. Um, his speed, his his strength, his you know, and and we we saw him be a little over aggressive on Saturday. We could contain that a little bit, and and he learns and he grows as an individual. I think he's going to be a special player for Michigan. Aiden Hutchinson, you know, the, the defensive line, Mozzie Smith, Chris Hinton, some of those young players that we saw in 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 spot duty. I get really excited about that. In the, in the secondary, you've got you know uh, Vincent Gray, young player, really talented. We saw him play this year. Ambry Thomas could not have had a better year with the complications coming into this football season. So that's my coping mechanism: is okay. How do we get better? How do we match up? How do we win a Big Ten championship? Because that starts now. It sure does. Do you know who John Harris is? No. Uh, he opened the first bacon factory. He should be your best friend. Uh, back in the county of Wiltshire in 1770, and the Wiltshire cure method of, of cooking bacon is still used today. It's a sweeter, less salty taste, but thank you, John Harris. You know what? He saw He saw the future. He saw what was going to be important, and that was mass production of bacon. Yeah, and and just as we stand on the backs of that 69 team and Bo Schimbeckler, <laughs> we are standing on the backs of some important individu- individuals in the swine industry. Mm. John Harris. He, there's got to be a statue of him somewhere, isn't tip there? Tip my cap to you. Uh. 
It's beautiful. Thank you. So he looked to the future. We're going to look to the future here on the podcast with this next interview. Yeah, we get a chance to talk to Matt Dudek, the director of, of recruiting here at Michigan, and uh, enjoy what we have to look forward to. And Matt Dudek will do a great job of describing that for us. We're joined now on In the Trenches by recruiting coordinator, director of recruiting, Matt Dudek. Matt, thanks for joining us. No, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, the early signing period is coming up. December 18 is when the majority of recruits will sign, especially, you know, uh, for here. What's the preparation like for you? I want to get into all season long, but from the end of the regular season for the next two and a half weeks. Yeah. What's it like for you in regards to phone calls and just making sure that everything goes the way you want it to on the 18th? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a, a bit of mayhem. Um, and this is, uh, I would say, across college football. It's not just here mm-hmm. in Michigan. Um, you finish the regular season. You have two weeks of contact starting December 1st. And it depends what the, what the calendar looks like. But this year it was December 1st um, on Sunday. And coaches can do – it's the first time that coaches can speak – to recruits and parents off campus, um, so that that's the really the that's where you get the home visits and the um, and you can go to the movies. You can't pay for the kid to go to the movies. You go to the schools and talk to the kids. Uh, so it becomes a uh, that off campus contact. So setting up all of those official visits uh, for the two weekends, you could have them um, making sure the, getting the information for their NLIs, getting the information uh, they need for their signing day presentations. Um, so it's a lot of on the phone. Uh, I'm I'm mainly primarily in the office at this time. I do travel with coach um, some of these days, uh, but primarily I am on my phone talking to the 11 coaches from everything about where's my hotel, who else do we offer in this school, what's his coach's phone number, um, all of those different things uh, going on. So you mentioned this is the first year they can have contact off campus. How- Correct. How much do the rules shift on a yearly basis? Because three years ago, this is the third year we've had this early signing period, correct? Uh, this would be the last year. And yeah, this is the third the year. The third, third year. year. That's right. So that change in of itself, because it used to be the first Wednesday in February. Correct. Still is. There's still one there. There's still one there, but yep. a majority of the kids seem to sign at this early time. Yep. Now you have, you're able to have contact. I mean, how do you keep up with all the nuances of the rules because they're it's a it's a moving target. Sure, the the compliance office does a great job here. Elizabeth and her team uh, do an incredible job of letting us know. There's usually a, uh, some new rule uh, proposals that come out in January. Um, then they vote on them in April, and some go immediately into effect. Some go effect August first. Some go effect December first. <laughs> uh, so keeping track of all those things, and sometimes they're the complete opposite of what the rule used to be. Um, sometimes they're um, through the uh, AFC the coaches association hey this rule was written like this it's not the way it actually happens in real life can you just adapt this one line to change it to this uh one here's a great example uh official visits up until i don't know uh it's probably been five or six years now um you could have an official visitor on campus a 16 17 18 year old kid you weren't allowed to pay for his parents to travel so the kid could come and you could pay for his travel. You could pay for his hotel room. Uh, you could pay for his meals. 
but you weren't able. And once the parents got to the location, you could pay for their room, but you weren't allowed to pay for their plane ticket or their bus ticket or their train ticket or whatever, their car service. You couldn't pay. So kids oftentimes, you know, earlier in my career, um, they were coming by themselves, making the biggest decision in their lives with their parents not being able to Because they couldn't afford to come. to come. They couldn't afford to come. Yeah. Especially because we're booking these things. Sometimes you're booking them three, four months out. Rarely, you're often booking them two weeks out. So tickets are triple, quadruple the price. And it's Thanksgiving and Christmas season when you're typically doing these things. So it was a, uh, it, it was not a good deal, but adapting that role and saying, Hey, we got to have something. We got to have family members here. They're 17 year old kids making bad decisions or not making bad decisions, making big decisions. Big decision. Yeah. So how much, how much say do you have with the NCAA? Not that it's, you know, Hey, Matt Dudek says, this is a great suggestion. They implement it, but sure. it, you as being, a, a, you know, at Michigan leaders and best, uh, yep. you know, the recruiting coordinator at Ohio state, you, USC, Notre Dame, I got to imagine that there is a voice to be had. How much can you give them your input, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's grown a lot over the last five years. Um, they do a personnel symposium now uh, where all the uh, recruiting guys and uh, operations folks get together um, like a like a, con- a convention. Um, they do that uh, in August. Uh, the Big Ten, we get together, uh, all the recruiting guys, all the operation guys, we get together um, in April, in April or May, I think it is, uh, for a little talk. Uh, we're always talking to our compliance offices is that's where the rules kind of stem from and then obviously as you're there writing a rule or a proposal and knowing that hey Ohio State's good with this Penn State's good with this Illinois is good with this and then they were writing it as a conference as opposed to writing it as Michigan thinks this is best or uh, Penn State thinks this is best once you kind of get everybody on board and it's not a competitive advantage it's a it's an advantage for oftentimes it's an advantage for the kids making it mm-hmm. simplified for the coaches or making it simplified for the actual recruit is really where a lot of those stem from. Without giving away any anything, because we're we're still two and a half weeks away. Sure. Um, I, the basics of this, yeah. uh, and and we'll get into how how complicated this can yeah. be. But how many kids are you able to go or and sign for two thousand and twenty? So you're allowed. Um, there's a there's a new rule that they added, which is a, <laughs> beautiful, a, a, and it's it's a new one. It's a it's a different one now. So uh, overall, you get 85 scholarships. That's everybody on your roster. And then there's something called an initial scholarship, which you're allowed to have 25 a year. Um, people were manipulating that in how the rule was written, so they put a new rule in place uh, three or four years ago now called the hard cap, and that's 25 actual signatures to paper a year. So not like the initial scholarship who's actually enrolling, 25 actual signatures is actually pen to paper. You can only sign 25 guys. Now, if you didn't use your 25 the year before um, and you have an initial scholarship to go with it, you could sign 26. Uh, there'll be schools in that position to be able to get um, 27, 28, depending on what you signed in last year's class, what was available. So um, that's kind of the target uh, of where you're at. And, you know, I think for us, you know, we're, we're somewhere, uh, I'll keep that close to the vest. Yeah. We're somewhere in between that no so and and then also that I, i'm curious about this and i know our fans are too when you have a guy leave early all right yeah. it, three years and they leave early that obviously in theory might open up a scholarship also transfers yeah. whether they leave or they're coming in how do you plan for if you're looking at a kid that's in the transfer portal yep 
in attracting him, yet not going out and giving away all your scholarships? I mean, how do you manage that number? You you always try to hold back one or two, right? You're never going to turn away a great player, a great mm-hmm. freshman player coming in. But ideally, you always have one in your back pocket, two in your back pocket um, that for that transfer, that graduate transfer. Now, they all count the same way. That's where a lot of people make mistakes. Grad transfers and transfers count as a hard cap. They count as an initial scholarship, and they count as an overall scholarship, just like an incoming freshman does. So you do have to prepare for that. And then everybody thinks, okay, well, uh, player X left the team. We have another scholarship. Not necessarily true to give to a freshman. Yes, there could be an overall scholarship available, uh, one of the 85, uh, but those can only be issued to walk-ons that have earned them. The Jordan Glasgow's of the world, the World Arts, the Andrew Vistardis of the world. That's how those guys get scholarships because after one year, here's another, here you go. Keep up with me, John. <laughs> I can see the smoke I'm coming out of your ears. <laughs> so those scholarships, after one year of being on the team as a non-recruited walk-on, because there's a difference between recruited and non-walk, uh, non-recruited. Recruited means we official visited you or did something do- with you during the contact period. Non-recruited means we didn't do those two things. We called you. You could be visit campus, stuff like that. Uh, but recruited status means that we official visited you or contacted you during the contact period. So if you're a non-recruited walk-on, <laughs> after one year, you can earn a scholarship if there's one available, and it only counts towards the 85, the hard cap and the initial scholarship uh, nuance go away. A recruited walk-on. A recruited walk-on will always count as a hard cap or initial. So okay. what many, many, many people don't do a recruited walk-on. And, and I, just for those listening, recruited doesn't mean we didn't talk to them or we didn't know them or yeah. they've never been on campus or we don't love them or any of those things. It's just how the rule is written. And it's only they did not take an official visit and we didn't go uh, into have a home visit with you. That target, that makes it turn into a recruited preferred walk-on. How often do you take your hat off and you just scratch your head going, uh, I have so many lists. I have so many. I keep a lot of lists. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's, uh, and that's the, that's the way you live, right? And, and it's uh, you know spreadsheets and lists, and that's, that's with players' names. That's with rules. That's with periods coming up. Uh, that's with flights you're setting up for coaches. Um, that's with official visits coming this weekend, you know, all of those different things. And you just work through. And I, and I uh, certainly am not a one person department. I, I have an incredible staff. Mm-hmm. Um, it really, and this, this stems from coach Harbaugh. This place is a village. When we have something recruiting, it is all hands on deck. You may be the offensive line analyst or whatever, and your job will be hosting um, a recruit and his family and, and hosting meaning, hey, you're going to move them from the weight room uh, to coach's office for their for their interview. So everybody gets an individual approach. Um, you know, and then in regard, regards to building a class. Sure. Um, you know, last year I know we had, what, six offensive linemen. Yeah. Um, you know, and then you look at this year or you look in two or three years – I know that you said it's a village. All right, so yep. it's position groups. It's obviously Coach Harbaugh. You guys work and meet on a daily basis. How do you put together and make it more complicated with who's available in the transfer portal, who is not happy? Sure. You know, how do you put together, well, we need X number of linemen. We need yep. X number of receivers. Or we need X number of this type of that position. Right. 
I think you look at everybody again, you think, okay, Ben Bredesen is leaving. We better get ourselves a guard. Uh, well, guess what? If you're waiting till Ben Bredesen leaves to get a guard, you're way too late. Right. Um, and that's where you've seen that class of six. Uh, the year before, um, there was, uh, I think it was uh, Jalen uh, Mayfield and Ryan Hayes were in that class. Um, so that was, so it's eight over two years. So now you have a starting almost a two deep over two year period. And then you'll see we're addressing it in this class too, where we'll have three, four. Uh, I don't believe we'll get the five guys, but again, you never turn away a great player um, in this class. So building that too deep in the offensive line. Now, the offensive line, you're talking offensive line because you're a great one. Um, but that's one of the ones that you're always kind of looking to make sure the room's filled. You want to have between 12 and 15 scholarship guys in that room over a five-year period. That's kind of where you, you'll want to be. Uh, where you build it from, man, you, you, you really look at who are your third-year players yeah. um, because those are the guys also that could leave early for the NFL. Uh, and then you build from there. Um, transfers and transfer portal guys um, you always count on attrition I think if you talk to anybody in sure. college football there's going to be attrition between three and five players every year um, a place like this uh, maybe it's they're graduating and they're going to be a CEO of a company right. uh, a place like this maybe they hey they fell on the down on the depth chart and they're looking for a new opportunity or closer to home and that's I think that's all really across the country some places uh the heck that i've worked before it was that kid's not going to make it through school um and he's not going to be there uh eligible to play anymore so but you usually have about three to five attrition a year um and and the last thing we i want to get to in regards to uh, uh this period leading yep. up to december 18 the the national letter of intent day last year it was dax hill Sure. Where, you know, at the end of the season, well, all right, we think we got him. And then all of a sudden we hear reports he's flipped to Alabama. And yeah. then, you know, a day or two or the day of, he flicks back to Michigan. One, that's got to make it a nightmare in regards to, well, if we don't get him, we can get this other guy. Sure. But we've got to wait. And then he flips back. And, I mean, just take us through that process. <laughs> and and I, don't, I don't want to use necessarily Dax Hill, but sure. that happens between the major programs – on a yearly basis. Yeah, you know, the guys late in the process that change their minds or looking for different opportunities. And, and the reasons they do that are everything from uh, they're overreacting to another coach uh, from another team or uh, they see that, oh, boy, I thought I was going to step in and that team's better than what we thought. Um, or, you know, there's the, you know, there's the rumors out there of, you know, certain things and yeah. certain uh, be given to parents and things like that. And um, But I'd say that you always have a list, right? So eventually towards the end of your class and um, we turn into a best available player situation. We've addressed our minimum needs or whatever you want to, whatever term mm -hmm. you want to use for that. And then it's, we're not going to turn away a great player. Um, so uh, I guess in Dak's case, there were other players. Was there a, another safety? Yeah, we had a couple safeties on the back burner, but we wouldn't have turned away Trevor Keegan to get another safety necessarily um, because you know, Trevor Keegan may have a much more higher upside. I say him because he was yeah. later in the later in the commitment. Um, that there, he may have a much higher upside at his position than the backup guy you had at the safety position. Uh, but you know, it just it happens. You know, it happens. Um, 
And I don't, I don't anticipate it happening. No, I think if you talk to every coach and every recruiting guy in America, they will all say, we don't anticipate it happening. <laughs> yeah. But guess what? We're also working some guys that have some committed status uh, some other places too. So yeah. it, works, it works both ways. Well, I appreciate uh, your time. I know that uh, you've got a few... Uh, long days, maybe sleepless nights ahead of you, yeah. but uh, best of luck, and uh, you know we'll we'll see what happens on the 18th. Maybe we get an update before we go to uh, our bowl game. Absolutely, love to do it. Thanks, John. Well, thanks, Matt. Appreciate the opportunity to uh, sit down with uh, Matt Dudek and talk to him about uh, what Michigan football has to look forward to and how we continue to build this program into a championship program. But uh, before we uh, we sign off today, we've got our fourth and short. Yep, we do. And number one will be your championship week predictions. Got all the big ones. We start in the Big Ten, Ohio State and Wisconsin. Buckeyes won by 31 in the regular season. Do you see a repeat? Um, I think this game will be a little bit closer uh, because it'll be at a neutral site, obviously in Indy, instead of being in Columbus where this matchup was originally. Uh, but uh, you know, we saw, we all saw how talented and how deep and uh, and the way that this uh, Ohio State team operates. I know that. Oh, Wisconsin is going to try and slow this game down. They're going to try and use Jonathan Taylor um, at, at times, Jack Cohn to spread the the the, the field a little bit. Quintus Cephas, the wide receiver. But this is, I think, too talented, and they're operating at such a you know, great level right now that Ohio State ends up winning the Big Ten championship. SEC, LSU, and Georgia. You figure if Georgia wins, you probably see both those teams in the playoff. Uh, but it's a, it's a top-five matchup in the SEC. Who you got? Uh, this, this one is, is interesting. But it became less interesting when George Pickens, the wide receiver from Georgia, got into a fight against the Georgia Tech defender. Um, You know, he's their best receiver. Jake Fromm has looked to him all season long. He will not be available in the first half because he got in a fight. Um, And that's just a a, garbage time. Yeah. In a rivalry game, that's going to happen. You know, emotions are going to happen. But that outcome doesn't have to happen. You know, and, and you're at that point you're putting yourself in front of your teammates, in front of the things that you have. So they're gonna be without George Pickens for the first half. I think to begin with it was gonna be a hard task for Georgia to beat LSU. I don't think it happens without the the output. They've struggled offensively, and if you look at their loss to South Carolina. They struggled to find receivers to throw the ball to. Young receivers, you know, the ball was, you know, in their hands and out, intercepted. You just can't have that. LSU right now is operating with Joe Burrow. Offensively, their output is amazing. Uh, defensively, not not the top no. echelon. They're no. they're you know, I think they allow what is it like twenty three or twenty four points a game. I don't see them winning the national championship, but I do see them winning the SEC championship. Out West, this is a Friday night game, Pac-12, Utah and Oregon. Kind of a shame Oregon lost a couple weeks ago, or or this would have been the first Pac-12 championship that kind of felt like a playing game for the college football playoff. Do you think the Utes make their case for that playoff spot? I think they do, and and we saw Oregon obviously lose to Arizona State, then struggle uh, a little bit with Oregon State. I think they're... They're they're reeling right now. One loss almost led into two losses, and 
Utah has everything in the world to play for. With Alabama losing last week, um, you know Georgia m- most likely losing in that SEC championship game, that opens up the door of that number four spot, and Utah will step right in. They have one of the better defenses in the country. They have one of the better offenses, which a lot of Michigan fans probably haven't seen because they're playing out west. They play, you know, the the, the Pac-12 at night. Uh, a lot of those games aren't on the viewing list, but this is a very good, very well-coached team. Yeah, no and, doubt. And I think I think Utah does win this game. Uh, speaking of that number four spot, the two teams in the Big 12 championship, Oklahoma and Baylor, also fighting for that crazy game in Waco the first time they met. Baylor went up big. Oklahoma surged back. Who you got in this one? Uh, you know, I would love to see Baylor win this game. I just don't know um, that they can hang offensively. We saw them put up a bunch of points last week in their game, but um, you know, Kansas. It's like, yeah. Kansas, yeah. And, and you know, the, the question I have for Oklahoma is, you know, in their last four to five games, their offense under Jalen Hurts, who is you know, 80% of their offense, it disappears for half at a time. Against Kansas State, it was the second and third quarter. Against Iowa State, it was the third and fourth quarter. They just barely eked out a victory. But you can look to all of those games and say, you know, where did the offense go? Baylor will force them into that in the Baylor game. It was the same way. They were down 28 to three and then came roaring back. But they have that ability to come roaring back. CeeDee Lamb, one of the best wide receivers in the country. Jalen Hurts can do a lot of things well. I don't think he does anything extremely great, but I, I think they do enough to beat Baylor and it keeps it, it I don't think I don't think it really matters at this point unless Utah loses both of the the, the Big 12 champ is going to be left out. All right. Uh, in the ACC, Clemson and Virginia, uh, I'm better off asking you, will Virginia be able to cover plus 29? Well, how about this? Each team in in the Coastal over the last, what, six years has, has won, won the Coastal. Yep. Virginia was the, the, the last one, and so they've they've completed the they, – they hit for the cycle. Um, <laughs> and I, But it, it really doesn't matter because uh, I think Clemson, offensively, defensively, um, they're extremely good. And if you've seen Dabo Sweeney at all in the last couple of weeks, he is – on edge, you might say, mm-hmm. in regards to the respect that his team is getting. He is selling them that, and they are playing with the want to go out there, repeat as national title contenders, and gain that respect again. So I think uh, Clemson comes away with a big victory over Virginia. Yeah, and looking back at that, not only has it been different um, with the team on the other side every single year, but I mean, gosh. Clemson's played in five of those games. So it's been Clemson versus insert random other team here for five of those six games. Uh, It's pretty crazy. Not a whole lot. I I will say this for Clemson. They scheduled A&M. They didn't have three cupcakes in their, you know, they play South Carolina in their last game. So at least their non-conference is legit. But, I mean, we talk about the Big Ten West needing to, you know, bring some extra oomph to the league. The entire ACC, it's just brutal. It is. And and that's that's the fine line that Clemson walked all, all year. If they lost a game, they were going to be out just because they wouldn't have the mm-hmm. resume. They didn't. They looked good in, in all of their victories except for maybe North Carolina, but they came away with a win. This is a good team. No doubt. Uh, and, and the last one we'll pick. How about the Mid-American Conference? Fire up chips. Central Michigan over my or against Miami, Ohio. Uh CMU was 1-11 last year. Jim McElwain, former Michigan assistant, going up there. Do you think the Chips win the MAC? 
Uh, I would love to see them win the MAC just cool. because you know Jim McElwain. Obviously, he was here last year. Uh, I got a chance to know him. He's a great football coach. We saw what he did down at Florida before he came to to, to Ann Arbor, and um, this is a guy that that knows the game of football well, can coach, develop talent. Um, so I would love to see Jim McElwain. And I'm actually going to pick Central Michigan, All the right. chips very, in this game. Very good. So number two in this uh, fourth and short, if all that goes on, you kind of alluded to it, you think Utah would make it. What would your top four be if your predictions are right? Uh, well, it's, you know, the one thing that we have to say before I make my predictions, because my predictions are going to be the way of chalk. All right, and it's much like the NCAA tournament, the the first two rounds last year, where the the, the higher seeds were winning. This is, I think, uh, Ohio State goes in at one, and they play Utah at four. Um, LSU goes in at two, and they play Clemson at three. I just don't see those teams losing, except for the fact that this is college football, and the unexpected should be the expected. So. Make sure you tune in because you never know what might happen. We're overdue for some chaos on mm-hmm. Championship Saturday. We really haven't had that in much uh, much in the college football playoff era. Would be pretty cool to see this. But weekend. how amazing is it that going into this football season, this has been one of the most exciting football seasons for me as a fan, because going in it was Clemson, Alabama, and everybody else. Mm-hmm. Alabama will not be in the college football playoffs. Clemson is going to go in as the number three team. We have an opportunity to finally have a different national champion, whether it's Ohio State, LSU, or U. Utah, or insert anybody else in that four spot, um, I think this is going to be wildly entertaining. I agree with that. Speaking of entertaining, number three, Greg Schiano oh. to Rutgers. Give me your take. Uh, the uh, the saga continues. Uh, <laughs> and you know what? They did what they had to do. Greg Schiano had success there. I know that they were in the Big East at that time. This is the Big Ten. It's a different ball game now at, at Rutgers. But he is a guy that has relationships within the university and can get things done. He's got relationships with the high school coaches in the Jersey area. That's what it's going to take. Players is what it takes to turn around a program. Talent is what it takes to turn around a program. And with the transfer portal, that wasn't there as well when Greg Schiano was there. He can utilize that much like Lovey Smith did at um, uh, at Illinois, at uh, Sonny Dykes did at SMU. You can see a turnaround. The difference being, you know, instead of, you know, watching, you know, Lovey Smith do it against the, the weaker side of the Big Ten, the Big Ten West, he's going to have to do it against yeah. Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan State, Penn State. It's it's a tough task, but if there's anybody that can bring them back to a, a few wins a year and maybe bowl eligibility, I think Greg Schiano is your best bet. Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, lastly, we are into December. John, mm-hmm. I'd like doing some lists with you. Uh, so last year we did a countdown of Christmas movies. How about this year, your, your top three favorite Christmas traditions? Oh, well, my I'll start with number three. And that we started this one over the Thanksgiving holiday. And anybody with um, you know kids that, uh, that, 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 that fully believe in the magic of Christmas know that there's the elf on the shelf. And for the month of December, since my kids were you know, could could understand what was going on. It is the best behaved you will have <laughs> young kids from Thanksgiving to December. Now, I will True. say this in regards to being a parent and moving that damn elf around. If you forget in the in the morning and your kids wake up, they're trying to find where the elf is, you better come up. You better think quick on your feet and come up with a good excuse as to why that elf didn't move. But that elf has eyes 
everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's a great tradition because, um, you know, my daughters, um, two of them are, are old enough to, to understand the, the reality of Christmas. Uh, but my, my third daughter writes a letter to Snowflake, who is our elf every mm-hmm. day. Snowflake writes a letter back, signs, you know, love you with wow. her Snowflake in, insignia. Okay. So it's, okay. uh, it's, it's, it's one of my favorite things. And, and I'll be sad when, when, when my kids no longer do the elf on the shelf. The elf on the shelf may stay there. Yeah. Just, uh, sure. You know, because. Why not? We could we could hide an elf around the studio champions. <laughs> yes, no, <laughs> then I wouldn't get any presents. <laughs> uh, uh, number two for me, and I know we'll get to your list here in a minute, Brian. But I'm going to go ahead and finish mine. Number two for me is the prime rib dinner. Thanksgiving mm-hmm. has turkey, Easter has ham, but for Christmas it's a prime rib dinner, slow cooked in the oven to a nice, cool red center. The ends, maybe you know, some of those that uh, that want a baseball glove we can cut those off and cook those a little bit more but it is supposed to be cold it is supposed to be juicy you get a nice horseradish cream sauce to go with it and i prefer the raw horseradish got to get a little bite to it Mm -hmm. nothing better than prime rib and then that little strip on the outside that everybody knows is the little fatty part Mm -hmm. oh yeah. Unbelievable. And the seasoning, the rub on the and everybody knows I'm a rub guy, all right? I love to rub my ribs. <laughs> We've covered <laughs> Good that clarification. topic already. <laughs> yes. Love to rub my ribs. Wish I could feel my own. But, uh, you know, that rub on the outside of a prime rib is just magnificent. Sure. And then the number one tradition that I love in the Jansen house is on Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve day, we go somewhere where we can get some nice, tasty buffalo wings spicy with some blue cheese and we leave Santa Claus because Santa Claus gets cookies from all the little kids yeah and, and you know maybe some a glass of milk but at the Jansen house he gets something special mm. he gets buffalo spicy chicken wings he gets a side of blue cheese and there may even be an adult beverage left for him wow just That's to enjoy the ride Mm. Obviously, sober. E- correct. Don't give him to the reindeer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mrs. Claus is driving at that point. <laughs> uh, for me, real quick, number three, I love opening the stocking. Okay, presents are great, mm-hmm. but as you get older, you don't need these big things. Like, it's nice you get a few little knickknacks, little, you know, little snacks in the stocking. Uh-huh. I love this. My mom does a great job putting my stocking together every year. And even though I just turned 30, like, that's still it. Like, I love the stocking. Number two, all the food. Yeah. I love Christmas cookies. I love all Christmas desserts or money. Uh, Listen, Thanksgiving's, I think Thanksgiving's the winner when it comes to the actual, the meat of the meal. Mm -hmm. But with Christmas, I can do that all the time. And number one is going to be my new tradition. Because I have a lot of family in the state of Ohio. And my tradition from here on out is to be giving them nice little maize and blue uh-huh. gifts every single year. Well, send them a link to In the Trenches, <laughs> they and probably, they will they're enjoy. Not gonna, they're not going to be surprised because they're probably not listening to this, uh, but they should we'll be. get them there. We'll get them there. 
Well, I appreciate uh, I appreciate everybody listening throughout the season, and uh, we've got a lot more to bring you. Appreciate uh, I want to say thanks to Brian Bush uh, for all the work that he did this year. Uh, obviously, starting down in Winston Salem, moving up in the middle of the season, and uh, double duty at the end of the year with basketball and football. I uh, also want to thank uh, all of our guests, all the student athletes, um, Dave Abloff. Uh, Chad Shepard for for wrangling everybody and, and making this possible. Uh, but uh, lots more to get to as we prepare for the bowl. I want to thank Matt Dudek for stopping by today uh, to talk about the future of Michigan football. And we've got more to come as we prepare for the bowl game, as we prepare for the holidays and the offseason, all here on In the Trenches. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of In the Trenches with John Jansen. The preceding has been a Learfield IMG College presentation of the Michigan Sports Network.